You'll find it helpful to have that passage open in front of you from Luke uh, chapter 18. Now, have you ever found yourself in a story? This guy has. Uh, see him there? Anyone know who that guy is? It's taken a few years ago. But this guy found himself in a story. Well, let me tell you, this guy is Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Now, he was born before the books were written. Uh, so uh, he grew up, his mother thought, oh yeah, Harry goes well with Potter. He grew up with that name. And uh, spent his whole life being mocked for being Harry Potter, even those parents knew uh, nothing about him. But he found himself in a story. And as well, apparently now you can choose uh, to be in a story. If you go to ustarnovels.com, uh, they'll allow you to appear in your favourite novel. Uh, so if you don't want to have Romeo and Juliet, you could now have David and Elaine, for example. The story of star-crossed lovers. <laughs> Or instead of Alice in Wonderland, you could have Laura in Wonderland uh, and read yourself in the story. The possibilities are endless. You can find yourself in a story. Well, we've been discovering in Luke's Gospel that if you're hanging around Jesus, then there's a good chance that you're going to appear in one of his stories. And this morning is no exception. Jesus is telling this story that we had read earlier to a group of people. Have a look at verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. The people that he's speaking to trusted in their own righteousness. For all their religiosity, they didn't think that they needed God. They trusted in themselves. We know from the people around that they thought that their righteous deeds made them good enough for God. And this caused them to look down on other people. Think of themselves as righteous and other people as worthless. And this is the people that Jesus is addressing. Now, as always with this, before we start pointing fingers or wishing other people were here, we need to think about ourselves in this. Do we find ourselves in that role sometimes, thinking of ourselves as righteous and other people as worthless? We need to work out where we are in this story as we go through Well, the story revolves around two characters, a goodie and a villain, a hero and a baddie, a Pharisee and a tax collector. So firstly, we see that the goodie compares. Have a look at verses 10 to 12. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. We're introduced here to the goodie, the Pharisee. The Pharisees were a religious group in the first century who wanted to see God's kingdom come in Israel. They rightly believed that their people had been under God's judgment... And they thought that what was needed was a sort of return to rigid morality, a return to the Old Testament law. They believed God's words on the surface of it. They despised the liberals of their day, the Sadducees. The Sadducees denied the existence of angels and of any afterlife. But the Pharisees, they said, no, that's actually real. 
Their name meant shining lights. And that's how they saw themselves. They were seemingly upright citizens. The sort of person that you'd want living next door. And you can see just how serious they were in Jesus' story. Have a look at verse 12 again. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. Now the law required Jews to fast. That's true. But they only had to fast once a year. These guys fasted twice a week. It'd be a bit like that awkward situation when you're at school when you get children who ask for extra homework. You know what I mean? And everyone else, shh, making you look bad. And that's a bit like what they're doing. They're sort of asking for extra. They're fasting twice a week rather than once a year. They're so serious, trying to get on the teacher's good side, if you like. They give a tenth of all that they get. And certainly this guy does. And we know from elsewhere that the Pharisees were meticulous about this. Imagine after, uh, coffee, uh, after the, the meeting this morning, going for coffee at the back um, and getting a biscuit and say, well, you know, oh, better make a tenth of this biscuit for God, so put it in your pocket. That's the sort of level that they took things to. They would probably have come off as quite OCD if you met them, but they took it incredibly seriously. And by it, they believed that they gained God's favour and that they wanted to see God's kingdom uh, come and then back uh, into his good books. So on the surface of things, this guy seems sold out for God, doesn't he? I wonder what we'd make of him if he walked through the door into battle on a Sunday morning. Would he be the sort of people, a person, we think, oh, this is great to have them with us. But as with most things with the Pharisee, it was just on the surface. Underneath, something horrible was happening. Now there are some clues to this in our passage. Look again at verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed... Uh, thus, other men, I, I thank you, God, that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, the language there at the beginning, standing by himself, is ambiguous. It, it could mean standing by himself, or it could mean praying by himself, or praying to himself. That would certainly fit with what we see of the Pharisee, not praying to God so much, but praying to himself. And we see that in the subject of his prayer, don't we? On the surface of things, again, it looks good, doesn't it? It's a prayer of thanks to God. But what is he thanking himself, uh, was he thanking him or, or God for? It's a prayer all about himself, isn't it? If you count the eyes as we go through verse 11 and 12, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed to us, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. It's all about him, isn't it? As he prays, it's all about what he is doing. He doesn't even ask God for anything, does he? As he comes before God. Imagine being invited to the throne room of a great king. And he says, as Jesus did, ask anything in my name and it will be done for you. And what you do is pray the Pharisee's prayer. I do this, I do that, I'm amazing. That would be an insult to the king, wouldn't it? He offers you anything and you stand there and talk about yourself. I don't want anything from you. I'm good, thanks. Look at me. I'm amazing. So the content of his prayer is all about himself. And he doesn't ask God for anything. But there's also the assumption of his prayer as well. He assumes in his prayer that he's okay. That everything's basically all right. He assumes that he's better than everybody else. He really is that guy in verse 9, confident of his own righteousness. 
and looking down on others. He assumes that he doesn't have a problem. But he does. And his assumption itself shows that his problem is huge. So how does he get to this conclusion that everything is basically okay and that he doesn't really have a problem and he doesn't need anything from God? Well, he compares. That's what he does. The goody Pharisee compares himself to other people. He's really this guy in disguise. This guy from TV, the go compare guy. Probably just as annoying if you met him, I imagine. But he thinks that he's good enough for God because he's comparing himself to other people. Now that might seem innocent enough, but it's feeding his delusion that he's good enough for God, that he needs nothing from him. Now we all compare, don't we? But it's a dangerous game. It used to be keeping up with the Joneses in the past, didn't it? You know, the guys up the road. Well, now you've got to keep up with the Kardashians, haven't you? You've got to keep up with your friends on social media whose lives look so sorted. Or you, you sort of keep up with them by silently congratulating ourselves when on social media those things seem to be going wrong. Like the Pharisees, we can be very selective in who we compare ourselves with, depending on how we want to see ourselves. You see, if we see ourselves as a mess, then we'll compare ourselves with those who seem sorted. And we'll convince ourselves that we're a real mess. If we want to feel sorted, then we'll compare ourselves with those people who seem a mess. The Pharisees seem to be comparing themselves with the worst people. But what the Pharisee doesn't realise is that he isn't in a competition. Best looking life wins. Actually, his situation really is in... A sort of hospice, I suppose. He's a sick, dying person, surrounded by other sick, dying people, and saying, I'm not so bad. He doesn't realise what a desperate state he's in. He doesn't realise the lifeline that he's been thrown by being able to talk to God. Instead, he stands and prays to himself about himself, to his own destruction. He stands there dying, phone to ear, emergency services on the line. But instead of asking for help, he tells them how great he is. Yet to those looking on, he looks quite a respectable guy. Doing respectable things, demanding respect while putting others down. So that's the goody, or so-called goody, the Pharisee. He compares himself and thinks he hasn't got a problem. But what about the baddie? Well, the baddie despairs. Have a look at verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, on the surface of things, the tax collector couldn't be more different, could he? The Romans were, of course, the big baddies in the world in those days, but the tax collectors were sort of like their henchmen. And worse, because they belonged to the very people that the Romans were oppressing. So if you imagine at school, if you remember back to then, the school bully would come along and then there's always that one behind them, isn't there, sort of shaking his fist. And how much it hurts when you thought that person was your friend and then they come and take uh, your lunch money. You see, tax collectors, really, they were Judases before Judas. They were betrayers of their own people for a quick book. They had sold their soul for 30 pieces of silver. And that's the man that we meet here. He would have been the pantomime villain, the one you were supposed to boo and hiss if this was a sort of story that uh, was on the stage. 
You see, even the Pharisee, when comparing himself to people, puts the tax collector at the end, doesn't he? Right at the end. As if he's the lowest of the low. And doesn't the tax collector know it? He knows it, doesn't he? He stands at a distance from the others. Outcast. He won't lift his eyes up to heaven. See, normal posture for prayer in those days was like this. But instead, he's got his head down. Won't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He beats his breast in frustration, in disgrace. And he calls himself a sinner. In fact, nearly all the translations mistranslate this. He actually says, have mercy on me, the sinner. It seems like he feels like he's the only one in the world. Like he's the only one who's really a sinner. Now sin is our rejection of God, as Al was explaining earlier. And like a cold, it shows itself in different ways, in different people. For the tax collector here, it's shown in a betrayal of his countrymen. In greed and in avarice. But for others, it shows itself in other ways. In pride and arrogance. In self-righteousness and willfully ignoring God. On the outside, it might not look so serious. But inside, it's the same soul-destroying disease. And everybody has it. From kings and queens to the beggar on the street. From popes and priests to prostitutes and pimps. The same disease shows itself in different ways. And this man is just more aware of it. In his mind, he's the sinner. He has a sickness and he knows it. And he's seemingly despairing of himself, isn't he? So as he prays, he doesn't ask for a pat on the back. He doesn't ask for a leg up in life. He asks for mercy. Mercy. Mercy is when we don't receive what we're due. And we don't get what we deserve. Now you might want to say that sounds a bit unfair, doesn't it? Not getting what we deserve. And in one sense, I suppose it is. The problem is that what we merit from God is punishment for our sin. If we go before God and ask him for what we deserve, we'll find that the answer is hell. And this man knows it. So he doesn't ask to receive what he deserves. He asks to receive mercy from God. He pleads, fist beating on his breast for clemency, for pardon. All the time, head down, daring not to look up and meet God in the eye, so to speak. So both men pray. Both men place their prayers in the throne room of heaven. Well, what's the response up there? Well, to the original hearers, this would have come as a massive shock. Our third point, the verdict upstairs. Verse 14. Let's look at it together. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The heavenly verdict, the divine answer is... The tax collector is in the right. More than that, the tax collector, because of his prayer for mercy, has found a place in heaven. He's been adopted by the great king of heaven. He's been welcomed into the family of God. This is a bigger shock result than any European referendum. It's a bigger shock result than any recent general election. 
It's even a bigger shock than some half-wit comedian staying on Strictly. Or a French girl voted off Bake Off for breaking French things. This would have been absolutely scandalous to the original hearers. This would have been very, very shocking. I mean, think about it on the surface of things. The upstanding Pharisee, the model citizen, versus some scumbag bully working for the enemy. And he even admits he's a sinner. He even says it. Why should he get in and not the other guy? Well, here's why. The Pharisees think they're big shots and they're not. They're as sick and sinful as the tax collector. They exalt themselves and so God will humble them. The tax collector is sick and sinful, but he knows it. He doesn't parade his righteous deeds before God. He hasn't got any, so to speak of. Instead, he pleads guilty and throws himself on the mercy of the judge. What he might not be aware of, though, what the Pharisee also isn't aware of, is that the judge is incredibly merciful. In fact, the judge has found a way to pardon such people who will plead guilty and ask for mercy. It turns out the price has been paid for such people. The judge has taken the punishment himself for those people in the person of Jesus Christ. But for people who plead their innocence, for people who try to bargain with the judge, there's nothing but cold, hard judgment. They insult his mercy when instead they try to suggest that they don't really need it. They insult the sacrifice he will make and has made so that they might be freed when they make out that his righteousness, their own righteousness, sorry, is sufficient without him. Those who humble themselves like the tax collector will be exalted, will be lifted up, will be declared innocent and able to begin a new life with God. Everybody needs God's mercy. But the Pharisees are too busy comparing themselves to other sick people to even realise that they're heading for an eternity of misery, loneliness and punishment. So the tax collector, on the other hand, he humbles himself, doesn't he? And asks for God's mercy. So the big question this morning is where are you in the story? Are you still comparing yourselves to other people, trusting in your own goodness and thanking God you're not as bad as the world around you? Let me tell you that if you look inside yourself and you see a dreadful sinner, you're a million times closer to the kingdom than if you look around and think that you're basically doing okay. If you don't understand the simple fact that you need God's mercy, you will never come close to understanding Jesus and why he is such good news. So can I say, if you're one of those people, spend less time looking around and more time looking at your own heart. Because you might be in for a big shock. If you think the hero lies inside yourself, stop comparing yourself to others and take a long look inside. Because if we're honest, we don't meet our own standards all the time, do we? Let alone God's perfect standards. We need to get our heads around the fact that we're not always right and we don't always do the right thing. One of uh, my favourite comedies is uh, Mitchell and Webb, that Mitchell and Webb look. And uh, the opening scene of the first episode, uh, there are two SS guards sitting talking to each other. And uh, they're sort of looking at each other's caps and realise that they have skulls on. And in this discussion, they sort of start wondering, do you think we're the baddies? (laughs) The other side, they've got doves and they've got all these wonderful things. And we're the ones that are... 
And they come to this gradual realization that they are the baddies in the story. Well, we need to go through that same journey, don't we? Realizing that we're actually the baddies. We're the problem. We need to defect and throw ourselves on the mercy of the other side. Swap teams and begin fighting for the other side. See, if we're Pharisees this morning, we need to become tax collectors. Beg God to have mercy on me, the sinner. And if we do that, God will be merciful. Not because we deserve it, but because he is merciful. But if you've searched for the hero inside yourself and found that he or she simply isn't there, then this morning turn to Jesus and beg him for mercy. He is merciful and compassionate. He will forgive anyone who turns to him in faith. He stands there a prayer away, longing to see you come to him, longing to pardon and forgive. God is not begrudging to show forgiveness. He offers pardon freely, and he longs for people to come to him like the tax collector, humbling themselves that he might lift them up. If you've never done that before, why not do that this morning? He's there waiting with open arms, ready to welcome you into his kingdom, into the family of God. All we must do is turn from our sinful ways, plead guilty and throw ourselves on his mercy that he freely offers us in Christ. But can I say, there is a lesson here too for us this morning, if we've humbled ourselves and come to God like the tax collector already. The danger is of the tax collectors teaching others to be Pharisees. Tax collectors teaching others to be Pharisees. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a danger that we start the Christian life knowing that we're sinners, knowing that we can't justify ourselves, and spend the rest of our Christian lives trying to do just that. Justification by faith, everything else by works. We can spot this in ourselves when we judge our spiritual standing by our own measuring stick. In fact, we fall into the same trap of the Pharisees, comparing ourselves to other people rather than looking into the Bible. If we looked at our Christian life soberly, I think we'd spend a lot more time on our knees, wouldn't we, like the tax collector? Have mercy on me, the sinner. And the fact that we don't speaks volumes to others, doesn't it? Go compare becomes normal in churches. Pretending that we don't sin becomes normal. Can I point out that in uh, his letter later on, that Paul says that he is the chief of sinners. And he uses the present tense of whom I am the chief or the worst of sinners. We need to remember that we're not perfect. And we need to be okay with the fact that we can share that with each other. I mean, our friends and neighbours know that we're not perfect. But do they think that we pretend to be? What are they going to conclude from that? That being a Christian is about putting up a front? Or that all Christians are hypocrites because they know they can hear you shouting, yet when you come outside, it's all smiles? Or do they believe that uh, from our front that that's the way into the kingdom, that it's just being nice? And just trying to live right. When we act like Pharisees, we teach others that that's normal. Outside the church and inside the church too. When we pretend perfection, we cause others who feel their sin acutely to stand at a distance away. Thinking that they're not good enough for God. We make others question their salvation. Because they never hear us talk about ourselves in a way that would give them a clue that we're weak and sinful. We end up becoming like Christian Pharisees, 
looking down on tax collectors who act and look like tax collectors. So the goal in our Christian life is not to graduate from a tax collector to a Pharisee. Friends, if we do that, we're going backwards, not forwards. We should be a community of tax collectors who know that we're tax collectors. Not a theatre of Pharisees who pretend that we're better than we are. So we need to be real with each other, not those who paint on a smile and a spotless conscience. We start as tax collectors and we continue as redeemed tax collectors. And that's where we should be in the story. We enter by God's mercy and we continue in God's mercy. So let's not play the go compare game. Actors comparing ourselves to other actors. Let's be real with one another and beware the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and not make the mistake of ending up like them. Let's pray. Father God, we know that we are sinners. Father, we know that we don't deserve your mercy. But Father, thank you that you gave it freely in Christ. Father, thank you that we can enjoy a relationship with you, not based on our own goodness, not based on how good we can make ourselves look, but Father, on your son's sacrifice. So Father, we pray that that would level us this morning. Father, pray that we wouldn't play games pretending uh, to be perfect, Father, but we'd be honest with one another. Father, that we'd pray for one another for help. And Father, that we turn to you for mercy in our time of need. And we ask this in Jesus' name.